Parshat Bahar. Um, this shir is based on a passage in the Nativus Sholem, Nativus Sholem. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I've actually separated it out. It, it's um, modular in the Sivas Sholem. And I've actually arranged it in such a way so that I can take the individual sources that he cites. And I have not quoted him in his entirety. Although you see that there are certain places where I have used him, um, um, the uh, Slonim Rebbe. But let's begin with a Posuk in Vayikra, chapter Chofhei, 25. Verse 14 and verse 17. It's the Torah prohibition against something called Ona'a. We're going to look at the definition of Ona'a in a minute. That's what the Pasuk says. By the way, it's in the midst of all the laws regarding the Jubilee year. In the midst of those laws, there's certain laws regarding property transactions, because if you know, the, at the Jubilee year, all property reverted back to its original owner. Basically, you were back to square one. So there's a number of little property laws concerning transactions between two people, um, which are contained in Parshas Bahar in the passage relating to the Jubilee year. This is one of them. I'm going to now translate that posuk. When you sell property, an object, a commodity to your neighbor, in other words, you engage in a transaction where you are selling goods or services to your neighbor. Or if you buy goods and services from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. Al toinu ish es ochiv. Doesn't really tell us what that means at this stage. We're going to, I'm going to give you a definition as to what it means. But at this stage, all it says is al toinu ish es ochiv. Don't do something wrong to your brother. Behave honorably. We're going to find out what honorable means. That's the first mention of it, which is in a Pasuk Yudalad, verse 14. The second Pasuk says as follows. Do not wrong one another. Again, the same thing. Do not wrong one another. Fear your God, for I, the Lord, am your God. Okay, so you've got two mentions of this concept of ona'a in the Torah, one in verse Yudalad and the other one um, in verse um, uh, Yudzayin. Okay, so now I'm going to, I've included in here, in source one, a little description of what ona'a is, and that's really what we're going to be talking about today. Ona'a is the act of wronging another by selling him or her an article for more than its real worth, or by purchasing from him or her an article for less than its real worth. So somebody comes to you and wants to buy something that you've got to sell, and they don't know the value of money. So it's something that's, let's call it worth a dollar. You've got a bottle of water on the table, it's worth a dollar. Would you pay a dollar for that bottle of water? You probably pay a dollar for it. You go into a store. Maybe if you got uh, 24 bottles, it'd be slightly cheaper. Maybe if you're in a restaurant, you'd pay $3 for it. But essentially, we know the value of a bottle of water, right? Okay. okay. Now, you have just gone on a very long run, and you're in Death Valley. Okay? And you can, there's a little booth on the side of the road selling water. <gasps> you can't breathe. <laughs> You're panting, you've just run for 20 miles, it's Death Valley, it's boiling hot, it's 120 degrees. You come up to this place, you want to buy, and there's this beautiful bottle of water which comes straight out of a bucket of ice. It's fantastic. You say, how much is that bottle of water? A hundred dollars. What are you talking about, hundred dollars? In Los Angeles, if I go into a Ralph's store, it's going to cost me a dollar. What do you mean you're charging me a hundred dollars? Listen, do you want it or don't you want it? If you want it, it's $100. Are you crazy? He said, okay, you know what? For you, I'll do a bargain. I'll sell it to you for 75 That's called ona'a. Why? You're taking advantage of a situation. The guy wants a bottle of water. You're overcharging him. The guy who runs that booth, who runs that little store on the side of the road in Death Valley, by charging $75 at the discounted rate for a bottle of water, is taking advantage of the situation. 
Okay, that's, I've, I've now given you one scenario of Ona'ah. That's forbidden by the Torah. It's a Torah prohibition. Okay, let's take another example. You walk into a store and um, you want to buy, um, you want to buy something. And you see that the guy behind the counter doesn't really know the difference between a $100 bill or a $1 bill. Why? Maybe he's slightly, uh, you know, uh, mentally disabled or something like that. His brother owns the store and he left him in charge of the store. You say, how much does this cost? Whatever it is. And he says it costs $100 and you give him a $1 bill. That's called ona'a. Why? Because you are under... The guy's very happy. He took the dollar bill in his hand. He's very happy. He's very happy to sell it to you for a dollar. But you have underpaid. Now, I've given you a very exaggerated example. There's much better examples than that, right? You know the value of something. And you're ref- you, by, um, you know, it has to be something which is broadly available on the market at a particular price. I'm not talking about antiques. This is always the big question. To, you know, the antique market is where ona'a is most practiced, Right? So if you buy an antiquarian book, which is my particular interest, or if you buy, you know, a, a, anything which is of antique value, how do you value that? How do you value the market? The market's all about supply and demand. There's no actual value to the item because that item was made and sold 100 or more years ago. So it doesn't have any intrinsic value. It only has value in as to how much somebody wants to pay for it. But if there's a a broad market for a particular object, a, a book, for example, that you can buy in the store. Here we have a chumash, a stone chumash. It's worth $40 if you go into a, into a store. And you walk into a store and the guy there doesn't really know what it's worth and you pay him $10 for it. That's ona'a. Why? Because he should have charged you $40. He's losing money. He is losing money at $10. Now, why he wants to sell it to you for $10, I don't know. But if that happens, it's ona'a. It's forbidden by the Torah for you to pay less than the value of something else. Says the Torah, Do not wrong one another. You must act fairly in business. You must pay the correct price and you must ask for the correct price. You know, we can't have an economy that's based on extortion or underpayment. That is absolutely unacceptable. It's untenable. Society will collapse. All right, so I think we understand what on our age. Let's move on. So Rashi um, actually focuses on the fact that it's mentioned twice. You know, it's like, like that old joke. If it's worth saying once, let's repeat it, right? But that's not how it works in the Torah. Because in the Torah, you don't say something twice unless there is a specific reason for you to say it the second time. So look at Rashi. I've actually translated the Rashi. The Rashi on Pasuk Yudalid, you shall not wrong one another. This refers to wronging in money matters. So everything I've just described about ona'ah, undercharging or overpaying, that is the first Pasuk, tonu ish et achiv. How about the second Pasuk, tonu ish et amito, says Rashi. Here we are warned against wronging by words. One should not annoy one's fellow man, nor give him unfitting advice in accordance, in accordance with the plan and the advantage of the advisor. Somebody comes to you for financial advice and you have a vested interest in advising him in a particular way. Should you advise him? Well, if you can be entirely objective in the advice that you give that person, perhaps. I would suggest you recuse yourself completely. Don't involve yourself in that kind of discussion unless you say, uh, for, you know, you reveal your hand. You say, listen, I'm advising you about this particular thing. You should know I have a vested interest in whatever it is, whatever the subject matter is that we're discussing. You should certainly not ever give advice that's to your advantage. I'll give you an example. This is a very straightforward example. Somebody comes to you for investment advice, okay? Should I invest in this particular share? And you know that if he invests money in that particular share, that you're going to be advantaged. Somehow you're going to be advantaged because that company is perhaps failing. With that person's investment, you're going to have a benefit from it. Okay, that's a very straightforward case, right? It can be even more direct than that. Should I invest? That fellow's come to me 
Um, he wants to bo borrow money from me because he's got a business and the business is not working so well. And, you know, he wants to borrow $100,000 from me. Should, should, I, should I lend him the money? You know the business is failing, but you also know that you're a 20% shareholder in the business. And that $100,000 investment, that injection of cash is going to make a big difference. So you don't say anything. You say, of course, invest the $100,000. And you know that not only are you advantaged, but you're not telling that person why you're giving him that advice. And perhaps if you were entirely objective, you would say, don't invest the money in that failing business. But because you have an active interest in the success of that business, you've given him poor advice. Says Rashi, do you know what that's called? It's called velotonu ish et amito. Do not wrong someone else by words, through the use of words. And if you should say, who knows whether I had any intention to do him evil. So this is a, a, a big discussion generally. What's the ethical um, issue here? The truth is that person invests the $100,000. I'm sure that he's got a good lawyer. I'm sure that he's tied up that $100,000 very, very well. And whatever it is, he, you know, it's very likely he won't lose his money. Or if he loses his money, he knows the risks. He's going to make his own investigations. He'll know the risks, right? So why, what difference does it mean? Does it, what, what difference does it make if I have intentions which are going to perhaps be slightly misleading? Ultimately, that's his lookout, not my lookout. And in any event, who cares what's in my heart? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't take money from him. It's not me who took the money. He is giving money to someone else, a third party. I'm just an outsider. I'm a third party in this situation. There's person A and person B. I'm person C. Who cares? The transaction is between A and B, not involving me, C. So why should I have any role in this which is negative why would the torah prohibit me in that situation says rashi the torah states you shall fear your god he who knows men's thoughts he knows it he knows what's going on in your mind in all cases where it is a matter of conscience when no one knows the truth except the one who has the thought in his heart the torah always states but be afraid of your God. You could be Mr. Clean Hands. You've done nothing wrong. The transaction was between A and B. And even if they came back to you late and said, but you knew, you knew. Listen, I, what I knew, I knew. I didn't take any money from you. You're the idiot who invested the money. Not me. Don't blame me. Blame the person who took your money and then squandered it and the business went belly up. It's nothing to do with me. No, no, no. You're now in a situation where you could give the right advice to that person and they're not going to lose their money. That's the situation that you're in. I'm the Lord your God. I know what's going on. I know what's really in your mind. I know that you want that person to invest the money so that maybe you'll be able to reclaim, you recoup your losses. Don't ever imagine that you can do something where you can claim that you've done nothing and that you've done nothing wrong. You have done something wrong. Says the Pasuk. Okay. So now we understand the two different types of Ona'at Mamon and Ona'at Devarim. Okay. Devarim means words. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't take money. There was no transaction involved here. I just said something. That's called Ona'at Devarim. Be very, very careful. The advice you give your friends. To the extent to which you can um, recuse yourself in anything that could be to your advantage, that's what you should do, says the Torah. Don't involve yourself in that. That's called Enas Devarim. Now we're going to look at a Gemara in Tomid. Davchov Ches Aleph. Tomid is a very short tractate in the Talmud, and it contains the following statement. Tanya, there's a Braisa. Rebbe Oimer. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi says, what, Which is the way of life that an, up, an upright path that a person should select for himself? So initially, the answer is that the Gemara gives is he should love admonition. 
You should love being told off. And somebody you've done something wrong, make sure you always surround yourself with people who, who um, stop you and say, you know the thing you just did? That was the wrong thing to do. Because for as long as there is admonition in the world, then pleasantness comes into the world. In other words, if everybody's always corrected when they do something wrong and they take that correction and they act on it, that means we're going to live in a very pleasant environment. It's a very pleasant atmosphere. Goodness and blessings come to the world. And evil departs from the world. Why is that? It's a posuk in Mishli in Proverbs. What does the posuk mean? But to those who admonish shall there be delight and a good blessing shall come upon them. So we have, that's the initial... Um, we asked, what is it that Rebbe said should be the one guiding thing that you should always have in your life? Always make sure that you have your right-hand person should be a critic, somebody who tells you as it is, not somebody who's a yes person. You know, we all like to be surrounded by yes people or by people who compliment you all the time. Make sure you have, you live in a world of teichachos, where people tell you, uh-uh, you're doing something wrong. And by the way, that that person also is willing to take a little criticism from time to time. That is the best kind of environment to be in. That's a, an environment of growth. It's an environment of goodness. It's, an envi uh, it's a constructive environment. So that's initially what we hear in the name of Rebbe. And now we're going to come to the piece that's relevant to us. The Yesh Omrim. There are those who say, actually, Rebbe had another um, um, driving piece of advice, something which he felt was should be at the center of anybody's life. How should they conduct themselves at any moment in their life? What should be their primary directive, their primary objective? Okay, this is what he says. Yachzik be'emuna yuseira. The path that one should select is to adhere to utmost faithfulness. We're going to see that we're talking about in business and interpersonal relations. Shenemar, why would you say that? Because it's a posuk in Tehillim, a posuk in Psalms, Psalm 101, verse 6. oretz imodi. My eyes are upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. And the posuk continues, he who walks in a way of integrity he shall serve me. So the posuk there says that somebody who behaves properly, that is a person who is going to always be in proximity with God. It sounds like a nice thing, but actually it's very vague. It's extremely vague. And now we're going to see that Rashi, actually, you know, that the Rashi on Maseches Tomid may not be Rashi. It's a perush, which has been identified as Rashi, but it may not be Rashi. But let's see what this... Rashi says on this particular piece of Gemara, which is slightly vague, it's not really giving you advice. To tell you that you should be yachzik be'muna yaseira doesn't really tell you how you should be behaving. I mean, we all want to be faithful. What do you mean? That's the primary directive in life? That's not good. If somebody says, can you give me the best piece of advice? The one thing that's really kept you going all these years. So somebody might say, always be honest. Another person might say, Always make sure to open the door for old ladies. You know, you've got to be kind to old ladies. Uh, somebody else might say, you know, eat with a knife and fork when you're in public because otherwise people might think you're, you know, you're uncouth. I'm just, you know, everybody's going to give you a different piece of advice. To say the yachzik be'emuna yaseira, you should always be very faithful, is such a vague notion. When, when I wake up in the morning, I should have emuna yaseira? What do you mean? It doesn't mean anything. When I go to bed at night, I should have emuna yaseira? How? What do I have? What's the practical guidance that I'm being given by saying have emuna yaseira? Rebbe told me have emuna yaseira. What should I do? I should always be surrounded by sidurim and be in shul. I should uh, I don't know. I should always uh, wear a talis and fillin. What is it that I'm being told to do? Emuna yaseira doesn't really have any practical application, whereas the one which we heard before has a practical application. Right? Be surrounded by people who tell you things as they are. That's a practical piece of advice. This doesn't seem practical. At least it doesn't have a practical application. So Rashi says immediately, this is the Rashi on Tomid, 
There are many different ways that a person can behave in life. That means there's, there's so many different options about what is the thing that I should focus on most. Right? You know, you, they, you always see these in the newspapers or online, you know, top 10 list, right? Sometimes it works backwards, you know, the number 10 is first and it works its way to number one. Sometimes the number one is first, it works its way to number 10. What are the 10 best things about this or the 10 most important things about that? So this Gemara, says Rashi, is telling you the most important things of the many different things. You've got a smorgasbord of things that you could do in life that you could focus on. I could focus on eating with a knife and fork. I'm sure it's really important that people consider me to be a, 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 a well-mannered person. Is that the most important thing to focus on? Rebbe says not, right? He's, we're asking Rebbe, what is the most important thing of the various things that I could focus on? That's not to say that I shouldn't eat with a knife and fork. I'm sure that if I would ask Rebbe, should I eat with a knife and fork? He would tell me, of course you should eat with a knife and fork. You should never appear ill-mannered. But it's not the most important thing to focus on. There is one very important thing to focus on, okay? So Rashi continues. Elohachi ka'amar, ezu hiderech. What is the one thing among the many things that I could do in order to excel that I should do in order to excel? Okay? So that's the first Rashi. So now we, we understand what Rebbe, what the question is that Rebbe's asking and answering is, what is the primary thing that I should be doing among the many things on the list of things that I need to be doing in order to improve my character? Number one. Number two, says Rashi, what does that mean? He should interact with people with faith. And he shouldn't, and you see the word ya'ane. What did we say the word ya'ane means? He shouldn't wrong other people. So first, that's what emuna yisera means. Act in good faith with people. And don't wrong other people. That's what Rashi says. Is that a better way of understanding it? It would appear that it's a more practical way of understanding this concept of yachzik be'emuni yaseira. In your interactions with people, make sure to involve faith in the mix. Okay, that's what Rashi is saying. So we have somewhat a better understanding, but still it's not quite clear. And here we're going to turn to the Nesiva Shalom. And the Nesiva Shalom is going to identify why even Rashi's version of what Rebbe said is somewhat difficult to understand. Says the Nesiva Shalom. We've already heard questions about what Rashi has to say. How exactly does Yachzik Be'emunah Yesera, even according to Rashi's interpretation of that, of that phrase, how exactly is it answering the question that this is the only thing that a person should do if he needs to focus on one particular derech, on one particular way in life? So we know that what this question meant as Rashi explained, is that we need to focus on one aspect of our character in order that we should advance beyond our current state. Whatever we are now is not perfect. You know, I mean, I know, I'm sure there is a perfect person in the world. I've yet to meet them. You know, the more that someone insists that they are perfect, the less perfect they are. We all admit that we have certain imperfections. We have flaws. We have things that we don't do quite as well as we could. So Rebbe is telling us, if you need to focus on one thing, what that thing should be in order to improve ourselves in the best possible way. What is the one thing that I should focus on in order to improve myself? Says the Nesiva Shalom, and he's quoting others who ask the same question, the fact that Rebbe tells us that we should behave in good faith, and of course that means involving God, in the way that we interact with others. That's not a good piece of advice. That's the halacha. 
course you need to behave in good faith. You have to have faith in God in everything that you do. In your interactions with others, you always have to understand that God is in the equation. I don't need to be told that as a good way to behave. That's itself understood from the baseline of Judaism, that that's the way to behave. Why would Rebbe tell me to focus on that? This is not an over and above way of behaving. This is the standard way of behaving. And he adds another question. Okay, so you said, that you need to behave with faith when you interact with others. But then Rashi adds something else. He says, you shouldn't wrong others. Well, obviously, if you behave towards them with emuna, you're not going to wrong them. So Rashi, in Tomid, Trying to explain what Rebbe means has actually created more confusion. He's not resolved the problem. He's created more confusion by telling us to do something that we would already know to do because that's the baseline. And telling us the same thing twice. First in the positive and then in the negative. Right? So what is Rashi actually trying to tell us? What that really says, what the Nativa Shalom is telling us in source number four, is that we don't understand Rashi. You can't understand Rashi uh, just at face value. We need to unpack Rashi. We need to really appreciate what it is that Rashi is telling us and his attempt to explain Rebbe in Tomid. And don't forget, what he's trying to do here is telling us how Ainoa is an essential component of human interaction, how really important it is in order for society to function in the best possible way. Let's look at Rabbi Moshe of Kobrin, who says as follows, MS ve'emunah choik ve'lo he says. What's MS? MS is truth. I'm going to translate MS as something slightly different than truth, okay? Integrity. Okay, in this instance, it's integrity. Truth is, is the um, backdrop to integrity. But integrity is what we're talking about. What's emunah? Emunah is having faith in God. Believing that God is directly involved in the things that happen in the world. I, mean, I, can't, I can't compartmentalize God, right? Emunah is all-encompassing. So integrity... And faith are something that he refers to here as choik v'loi yavar. I've translated that, please forgive the imperfect translation, as immutable principles. The word I just used before, baseline, may be a better way of understanding it. Baseline principles. There are givens. There are certain aspects of the human condition which are absolutely givens. I'm talking about things that we have to adopt in terms of the way we behave. Because be clear, all other characteristics are really contingent on time and conditions. What does that mean? There are times when a person must behave in this manner and other times when he should behave in another manner. For example, you know that your children, sometimes you need to act angry with your children. Why? Because you need to convey to them the importance of a particular thing. That doesn't mean you are angry with them, but the way you interact with your child is to demonstrate, I'm, I'm really upset with the way you behaved at school. And sometimes you need to behave very lovingly or in a fun way with your children. That doesn't mean that when you were angry you were wrong or that when you were fun you were right. What it means is, you know, in, in English, you have an expression, horses for courses. Do you know what that means? There's different types of horse races. There's horse races which, um, where the horse jumps over a hurdle, right? And there's a horse race where they just run on a flat and they need to get there to the other end. It's a different type of horse. Some horses have been trained to jump and some horses have been trained just to run very fast to get to the other, to the other end of the, of the racetrack. Horses for courses, that means, that's an English expression, which means different um, things call for different behavior. So occasionally I have to behave in this way, and occasionally I have to behave in that way. However, says Reb Moshe of Kobrin, be, be very clear 
There are two aspects of your personality, of your character, of your conduct, which can never change. One is called MS, integrity, and the other one is called emuna, faith. Truth and faith must be permanent fixtures. Integrity and faith are not up for negotiation. You don't change your integrity to suit a particular situation. Integrity is a given. Faith is a given, okay? There's a Gomorrah in Makkus which gives a fantastic example of this. It's a very short piece, it's Gomorrah, to right at the end of Maseches Makkus, Davchov Dalad Omad Aleph. It's a story about Rav Safra. V'doiver emes bilvavoy kegoyin Rav Safra. There's a story about Rav Safra, I've included it here in the translation. He was reciting the Shema and a person approached him to purchase an item. Something that Rav Safra owned. Let's say Rav Safra had a very nice watch. A fellow comes up to him and in the middle of saying Shema, he said, Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekein Hashem Echol. The guy tapped him on the shoulder. He says, excuse me, Rabbi, can I buy that watch? And he heard, he's, he didn't say anything. The guy says, I'll pay you um, $100 for the watch. But he didn't say anything. In his mind, as he heard the $100, he thought to himself, I'm very happy to accept the $100, but I can't say anything because he's in the middle of saying Shema. He can't answer the man. He couldn't respond because you're prohibited from talking in the middle of Shema. So the guy thinks it's just a sales tactic, right? So he says to him, I'll offer you $200 for the watch. Safra still didn't answer because he was now in the middle of Vahoyah Shamayah. He couldn't answer. He was still saying the Shema. The guy says, I'll offer you 300, 400, 500, 1,000 dollars for the watch. Finally, Rav Safra ended the Shema. He took off his tefillin and he looks at the fellow and the fellow takes out 1,000 dollars and says, give me the watch, I'll give you 1,000 dollars. He says, no, no, I don't want 1,000 dollars. I only want 100. What are you talking about? I'm giving you $1,000 for the watch. No. I was willing to accept $100. I just couldn't communicate it to you because I was in the middle of Shema. That is someone who's doiver emes bilavavoy. Someone who is absolutely, has full integrity at all times. You can never catch him out. You will never get Raf Safra to do something that he doesn't want to do in terms of his, the way he transacts or interacts with people. Doiver emes bilvavoy. As he is, that's the way he is. Nothing changes. That's what Reb Moshe of Kobrin means when he says, emes ve'emuna choik ve'loyavar. Situations cannot change your emes. Simply because the fellow offered you more money and you hadn't said anything, actually in your heart you were willing to accept the 100, that should remain your baseline. That is immutable, it's a principle by which you should guide your life. That's what it means to be a person of integrity. Now I want to ask you a question. Just for argument's sake, had Rav Safra taken the $1,000, would the fellow have been upset? No. No. He was, very happy to, he was very happy to pay the $1,000. Anyone around who's sitting in the shul or wherever it was, Rav Safra was saying Shema, and they would see this transaction taking place, would they think badly of Rav Safra? No, why? Why would they think badly of him? They don't think, why? The, the watch may even be worth $1,000. Didn't say that it's not worth $1,000. So who's, the, who's Rav Safra working with here? Himself. David Emes Bilvovoy. There's no external party that's involved in this situation that's going to think ill of him. He's not even done anything wrong. He's done nothing wrong. He's just taken the money for the watch that the guy was willing to give. But he wouldn't take more. Why? Because emes ve'emuna achoik ve'loi yavar. That's as simple as that. That's what the Gemara is teaching you. Says the Nesiva Sholem. Let's look at it. The last piece of Nesiva Sholem and then we have a fantastic piece from the Ozra of Rebbe. Says the Nesivah Shalom, So it should be with any aspect of your service of God, the way you interact with God, your relationship with God. 
The same way as Arachayim HaKadosh says on the, on the Posuk in Shmois, chapter 20, So this is in Parshas Mishpotim, the Aseres Adibris are repeated in a slightly changed way. Says the Posuk there, never mention God's name in vain. Says the Erechaim, do you know what that means? It doesn't mean blaspheming, mentioning God's name with blasphemy. No, it means don't carry God's name just simply as a suit of clothes. But actually it's not in your heart. Don't use God as a way of conveying a certain air about you, but actually that's not what you're thinking. What does that mean? And he explains. Don't pretend to be a bigger tzaddik than you actually are. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. Using God as your identifying factor. Somebody, you know, prays very fervently. You see them in shul and they're praying, they're savoring every word. And what do you think of that person? Oh, he must be such a tzaddik. Look how he davens. Everybody else davens, they just say it very quickly. And he is praying, he's savoring every word. Look at him with such kavana, how he pushes himself into it. And what is that person really thinking? He's thinking about the football scores and he's thinking about uh, what he's going to eat for lunch. But he wants everybody to think that he's a big tzaddik. That's called, says the Erechaim, Right? Do you know what that is? It's false. It's a hoax. It's fraudulent. He's not really that way. He's absolutely not that way. That's not the, really what he's thinking. That's not what's going on in his heart. He's using the name of God, as it were, as a way of projecting a particular image for himself. But that's not true. It's a hoax. You should know there's many different levels to this. Don't imagine it's black and white. There's a way of doing it in such a way that it's, it's a good way. Or an even better way. I mean, you know, it doesn't, there's a lot of gray area here. Uh, and you have to know how to project yourself. And sometimes the way you project yourself is the way that you're going to behave as well. And you need to know, you need to find the balance between projecting a particular image and actually being what you're projecting inside your heart. Right? But there's a level of integrity, and you should be trying to rise up in that level of integrity. They are those who actually lie by saying a lie. right? They, they tell people things about themselves, which are just lies. It's just not true. I don't know. Somebody says, I was in yeshiva for 10 years. They never went to yeshiva at all. That's a lie. But the person who hears that piece of information will think, oh my gosh, he must be a very religious man. He was in yeshiva for 10 years. Right? That's, you're projecting an image by a lie that you've said. But then there's just a projecting an image that somebody who sees you might think that you've been in Shiva for 10 years, but actually you haven't. But you're allowing that image to be projected so that the people think that about you. That's another, another level of Sheker. You didn't say a Sheker with your mouth. You didn't lie actually by telling them something which is a lie. But you lied by your behavior. That's another form of hoax. And you should know it, it stretches to the minutest of the minutest. Like how you project a particular lie can be in the slightest thing that you do. And you should know even the slightest form of untruth, the slightest dishonesty creates a barrier between you and God. The slightest thing, a thing which you might think, well, I didn't lie. I never said anything. I didn't lie. 
I didn't lie to anyone. But allowing yourself to be perceived in a particular way will immediately create a barrier between you and God. As the, as the righteous ones have said about this particular posuk, Midvar Sheker Tirchok. It's a posuk in Mishpatim. This is the posuk in Mishpatim. Before was a posuk in Yisrael, actually. But this posuk which says, Midvar Sheker Tirchok. What does it mean, Midvar Sheker Tirchok? Does anyone know? It means you should distance yourself from any aspect of untruth. Sheker. Right? Stay away from Sheker. Dvar Sheker Tisrachek. Mashem is Borach, and they, they um, make the Pasuk mean something else completely. Midvar Sheker, from a Dvar Sheker, Tirchok Mashem is Borach. You will distance yourself from God. So instead of the Pasuk meaning you should distance yourself from Sheker, the Pasuk is actually telling you, and this is the, uh, another interpretation, through a word of untruth, of lies, you will distance yourself from God. Even the slightest sheker, the slightest lie, the slightest untruth, creates a distance between you and God. And continues the Nesiva Shalom. We're on page three. And you should know it's the opposite. The opposite is true when it comes to truth and integrity. You should know truth is also a bit of a moving target. There's truth, and then there's real truth, and then there's like super truth. Truth and integrity are not something you can define as absolutes. But in your MSH Madrigas, Gavoya me al higher and higher levels of truth. Bivchinas Mahadrid mina Mahadrid. Your aspiration should be the ultimate form of truth. Yesh Dover MS Bilvavai. There's someone who's truthful in his heart. Vyeshma she is atzmoi. And the ultimate form of truth, says the Nasiba Shalom, is somebody who doesn't even fool themselves. You know what the biggest, the thing that trips people up the most? When you begin to believe your own lies. You create a narrative, and suddenly that narrative becomes your truth. And if anyone says, that's not true, you say, no, 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 of course it's true. But it isn't true. But you've convinced yourself that it's true. The best type of truth is the truth that's going on in your own heart, right? To know the truth about yourself. The real integrity comes from not fooling yourself. Forget not fooling others. Of course you shouldn't fool others. Don't fool yourself. That's another Dvar Sheker. You should know that if you lie to yourself, it's also another form of of, um, untruth. And that's also a form a lack of integrity. You need to have integrity even in yourself. The more truthful you can be about yourself, the closer you will, become, you will come to God. Your relationship with, with God is directly related to your own personal integrity. And this explains what Rashi says. What does it mean when Rebbe said you should be yachzik be'emuna yaseira? He says it means sheyisa ve'yitain be'emuna. Haynu af b'mashe al pidin ain't lemechuyev lezara ad kadekach. Even though according to the strict letter of the law, you don't need to be that careful. Like it, it, no one's going to look at Rav Safra when he sold his watch and say the man's a thief, or the man's dishonest, or the man lacks integrity. That's not what they're going to say about him. But he didn't do something with emuna. There was a lack of emuna there. Some, what does that mean? In his interactions with others, somehow he allowed his integrity to slip. It should be the ultimate level of integrity when you interact with others. Don't allow yourself to get drawn into the trap of, well, it's okay because no one's going to think badly of me. That is not a benchmark for success. That is not the benchmark to which you should be aspiring. And that's why Rashi adds the words, and don't wrong others. Even in matters of 
you know, things which are permitted. They're not lies. And there's, you did nothing wrong. Even very good people. You see other people around you who are very good people. That's the way they behave. And no one says that they've done anything wrong. And that's totally fine. Nevertheless, it's not the truth. It's not true integrity. You're not being true to your best version of yourself. That is the aspiration. That is what it means when Rashi says about Rebbe. Rebbe says, Yachzik Not just with emuna, because you could be a person with emuna, and Rav Safra sold the watch for $1,000, and that's fine. But that's not emuna yaseira. It's not emuna yaseira. What it is, is emuna. But we need to, Rebbe says, you know what you want to know? The one thing you should strive for in your life? If there's one thing that you should strive for your entire life, in Emunah Yaseira, it's that Yisa v'yitain be'emunah. Which means, v'lo ya'ane esabriyos. Even in a way that they didn't realize. And even in a way which you could say, but everybody who's a good person also does it that way. You should you should be measuring yourself by a higher standard. That's what it means. And the absolute correct path, the path of integrity is never to do these things, even things which are permitted. Because when it comes to integrity, there's no limit. There's no limitation. Yesh MS Vyesh MS La Amitoi. There's MS and there's the ultimate truth. The Zuya Derecha Yeshari Hibalal Odom. That's what Rebbe means when he says that that's the ultimate path that someone should strive for in their life. That they should have Emuna Yaseira, Nakudas MS, the, the absolute kernel, that you should be totally driven by integrity and truth in every aspect of your behavior, even when no one knows and no one will ever criticize you. And finally, we're going to look at what the Azarov Rebbe said. A beautiful piece. There are people who don't steal. Why? Because the Torah says you're not allowed to steal. And there are people who don't steal. It's another form of stealing, of uh, violent theft, right? They don't do it. Why? Because the Torah says you're not allowed to steal in that way either. No burglaries, no robberies, and they don't do it. That's their behavior. Their behavior is, you know what, I work, I, I earn a living, I'm never going to be a thief. Okay, why? Because the Torah says I'm not allowed to be a thief. But then there's another level of not stealing. It's a, it's a different type of not stealing. That they don't behave in any way or form um, in their business transactions with others, where they're going to gain an advantage, which means that they're going to get more money. Why? They consider that to be another form of theft. What is it? They understand, and this is the posuk that was quoted in the Gemara as the base text, as the source text for what Rebbe said. What does it mean? The posuk says, Translate it for you. My eyes are upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a way of integrity, he shall serve me. What is the Posik teaching us? A person who, who behaves properly in business is not behaving that way because God commanded him, don't steal. Be honest in business. Don't steal. That's not why he's doing it. Do you know what the core of Oina'a is? Why should one behave in such a way that we don't wrong others when we transact with them? And not because, um, because somehow he's confused about the commandment, what's right and what's wrong. The reason why he behaves with integrity in financial matters is because he has faith. Oinoa is nothing to do with taking something that belongs to someone else. It's not to do with gzela or geneva. It's to do with emuna. And he explains, He believes that that which he was designated 
on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, between Rosh Hashanah and Rosh Hashanah every year, God has designated how much money you should receive. Whatever that amount is. It could be $10,000, could be $100,000, could be a million dollars. How much are you going to, by the way, how much are you going to get and how much are you going to lose? Both. Both have been designated in Rosh Hashanah, maybe Yom Kippur. Ezehu Yukabel. That's what he's going to receive. And that which has not been designated for him, there's absolutely no reason to think that you're going to get it. What's going to happen when you have a transaction? I'm the guy who mans the booth in Death Valley, and I ask somebody for $75 for a bottle of water. How much did the bottle cost me? 50 cents. So $74.50. <laughs> I could have sold it for $1, in which case my profit would have been 50 cents. Or I could sell it for $75 because the guy just ran 20 miles and he's, and he's dying of thirst. He needs to pay money to get water, otherwise he's going to, his, you know, his, 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 his life's going to be in danger. Now, I made $74.50. So I'm now $74 up on what I could have earned from that, right? That's what's going through my mind. If I would sell that same bottle in Los Angeles, I would get a dollar. I paid 50 cents for it, so I made 50 cents in Death Valley. I can make $74 more, right? That's what's going through my mind, says the other of a Rebbe. No, he made a mistake. You're not making $74 more because you're going to make that $74 anyway. You just weren't going to, you weren't going to make it in Death Valley. You're going to make it somewhere else. Or you know what's going to happen? You've made $74 in Death Valley and suddenly you're going to have a terrible toothache and you're going to go to the dentist and you're going to say to the dentist, I need a filling. How much does the filling cost? $74. By the way, if you find that dentist, let me know. The dentist is going to say, you need a filling for $74. Ah, Baruch Hashem, I made $74 in Death Valley. I have the money to pay for... No, no, you idiot. If you wouldn't have sold that bottle of water for $75, you would never have had the toothache and you would never have had to pay for the filling. Because God gives you what you're meant to get. And you get more than you're meant to get. God's just going to take it away from you again. That is why the halacha, the mitzvah of Oinah, has nothing to do with gazela. It's nothing to do with theft. It's nothing to do with honesty in business. It's to do with faith. You have to have faith that that which God designated that you were going to get during the course of the year, that's what you're going to get. And if you take more, all that's going to happen is you're going to end up with the same amount. Somehow, you'll end up with exactly the same amount. You're never going to be advantaged. Therefore, if you are a person of faith, you'll never engage in any kind of dishonest transaction because you will never gain from it. Thieves never prosper, it's an old English expression. Sometimes you look at a thief, you say, but he did prosper. No, no, he didn't. They pay the price. They may not pay the price in the way that you see it, but they'll pay the price. They do not prosper. Whatever God wants somebody to have is what they're going to get. And whatever God doesn't want you to have is going to be taken away from you. That was something which was determined on Rosh Hashanah. It's not going to be determined in Death Valley in the middle of the summer when somebody comes to your booth and wants to buy a bottle of water. There's absolutely no way you're going to receive something which you were not meant to get. And even if he takes money that doesn't belong to him, obviously we wouldn't want that to happen. It's not going to help him at all. One way or another, that money is going to be taken away from him again. He won't gain advantage from it. Don't worry, God has enough ways of making sure that the money that you gained um, in profit that you shouldn't have gained in profit, won't be in your possession after some time. And God also knows to whom to return it. We'll leave it here for today. You know, Rabbi Denner, in capitalist, I mean, this is not 